coming up on the Mission Readiness Podcast. So food is medicine. Food is education. Food, food is a community um, support because this is federal funding dollars that come through. And for every $1 of federal funding, that promotes a minimum of $1.50 all the way up to $1.78 into that community because it allows the parents to make it to work. So there's missed wages or missed work. It allows the children to stay in school. So, cause they're staying healthier. It allows the grocery stores or local food distributors to be able to hire people or buy at bulk. And it helps the health industry to not have so many people knocking on the door because they are malnourished and they are getting sick. Mission Readiness is the organization of retired admirals and generals working to prepare America's youth for success. Join us as we talk with respected leaders about the challenges facing our next generation. And now, Mission Readiness Deputy Director, Megan Adamczewski. Welcome to the Mission Readiness Podcast. This is Megan in for General Gross. Today on the podcast, you'll be hearing a recording from an event that we held virtually on December 2nd, 2021. This event was focused on the links between national security and nutrition and food security in Arkansas. During this event, two mission readiness members provided their perspective on nutrition and national security issues. During the event, you'll hear from retired U.S. Army Major General Bill Wofford and retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Gary Prophet. General Wofford and General Prophet were joined during this conversation by several individuals who are doing really important work in Arkansas on food security, food waste reduction, and school nutrition. If you'd like to view the full video recording of this event, you can do so by visiting our website at strongnation.org. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and let's get into the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today for a roundtable discussion on the importance of early childhood nutrition and food security in Arkansas to national security. My name is Megan Adamczewski, and I'm the Deputy Director of Mission Readiness. Mission Readiness is an organization of nearly 800 retired admirals and generals from throughout the country who are concerned that 71% of young Americans nationally and 74% of young Americans in Arkansas are ineligible for military service. Our members are, have joined here today with a group of experts from Arkansas to talk about how important it is to improve childhood nutrition and food security programs throughout the state. We know that many of you watching are influential in your communities and have the ability to improve outcomes for young Arkansans. We hope that after our discussion today, you will go out into your communities and have important discussions about how we all can advance these programs together. I'm thrilled today to be joined by two Mission Readiness members from Arkansas who are going to talk more about their own experience and why they're so passionate about the programs that we are gonna be discussing today. They are retired US Army Major General Bill Wofford, who is the former Adjutant General of Arkansas and a resident of Conway. We'll also hear from retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Gary Prophet, who is a former resident of Bentonville. We're also very thrilled to be joined by three individuals who are on the ground in Arkansas doing really important work to advance childhood nutrition and food security. We'll hear from Stephanie Walker-Hines, who is the Director of Child Nutrition for the Little Rock School District, Lance Whitney, who is the Director of SNAP Coordination 
excuse me, the director of SNAP Outreach for the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, and Taylor Gladwin, who is an environmental educator for the city of Fayetteville. We really appreciate everyone joining the discussion today. And just one quick housekeeping note before we begin. We hope that we'll have some time at the end of the discussion to get some audience questions in. So if you're in the audience and have a question you would like to submit for our speakers, please do that in the Q&A function on Zoom, not the chat, the Q&A function. And we will try to get to that before the end of the discussion today. Thank you so much. And with that, I will pass it over to General Wofford, who will go ahead and get our discussion started. Hey, thanks, uh, Megan. Yeah, as a retired Army general and proud Arkansan and grandfather, I'm excited to be here with you today to talk about how we can support programs in our state that improve childhood nutrition and food insecurity. As Megan mentioned, I'm a member of the Mission Readiness, a national security organization of approximately 800 retired admirals and generals. And I will tell you that I first became interested and concerned about barriers to recruiting and national security during a presentation by the Chief of Staff of the Army during a general officer leadership seminar over 15 years ago. I mean, his comments really uh, intrigued me and concerned me. He, he stated that out of every 10 young men and women in our communities, age 17 to 24, there are four of them that are not eligible to join the military because they don't have a high school education, a GED, or can't pass a physical fitness test primarily because they're overweight. Yeah, as alarming as that uh, statistic is, there are three more out of that 10 that are not eligible to join the military because they've got a police record, a drug habit, or a morals issue. So out of every 10 young men and women in our communities, there are only three even eligible to be recruited into the military. Now, at that time, my primary focus was on recruiting and national security. Uh, about a year, year and a half after hearing that uh, statistic, I was selected to become the Adjutant General of the Arkansas Army and Air National Guard. And I took the opportunity to address that concern to our congressional delegation, to our state legislature, and every civic organization that I was invited to speak to. Okay? Now, again, my concern was national security. How can we recruit if 74% of the young men and women in our communities aren't even eligible to join the military? Okay? Now, I will tell you, I'm a little embarrassed to admit out of all those individuals, all those organizations that I spoke to about that challenge, I merely presented a problem. I did not offer a solution. It wasn't until I had the opportunity to join Mission Readiness that I realized there is a solution to that national security problem. Okay. It's basically a three-pronged approach. Okay. Early childhood education, healthy food choices, eliminating or minimizing food insecurities and physical fitness, okay? Mission readiness uh, members like myself are committed to addressing the growing crisis of military ineligibility by drawing attention to one of its root causes, malnutrition manifesting as obesity. Right now, 31% 
one out of every three Americans between the ages 17 and 24 would not meet the military's core eligibility requirements due to obesity, a form of malnutrition that is often caused by food insecurity. Now, to address this growing crisis, we believe that it is imperative to support proven nutrition programs that provide young people with reliable access to fresh and nutritious foods. One of these programs is the National School Lunch Program, which helps make balanced, nutritious meals possible for following by following uh, uh, science-based nutrition standards, ensuring that you have access to healthy meals that are necessary for the health and well-being. Children who eat school uh, lunches consume fewer empty calories and more fruits and vegetables than their peers who do not eat a school lunch program. Participation in the National School Lunch Program is also associated with a lower body mass index. Estimates suggest that free or reduced price school lunches can reduce the rate of obesity by 17%. There are also key programs within schools that encourage good health. Mission readiness has long supported programs in addition to healthy school uh, meals like physical education and community investments that allow kids to walk or bike to and from school. Now, with all that said, schools can only do so much and they need far more support in order to help kids stay healthy. This is why mission readiness members support programs like the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, WIC, and the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. We need to modernize uh, nutrition education and integrate it into each federal nutrition, nutrition program. Doing so will help motivate kids to eat more fresh foods and bring those experiences home to parents prompting the purchase and consumption of more fresh fruits and vegetables in the home. While meaningful progress has been made with each of these programs, the COVID-19's impact of, on food insecurity has brought attention to many existing shortcomings in these and other federal nutrition programs. It also brought attention to the fact that many families who are eligible for these vital programs are not enrolling or have struggled to enroll. In Arkansas, 72% of eligible participants were uh, enrolled in the SNAP program in 2016, but only 49% of eligible participants enrolled in the WIC program. That has shown that even prior to the pandemic, enrollment of eligible individuals in the WIC program has fallen since 2011. During the pandemic, many families faced additional barriers when trying to access these food programs. We need to address barriers to enrollment to ensure that those who are eligible for these benefits receive critical nutrition assistance. And additionally, strengthening our nation's food system is critical to combating uh, child nutrition. Existing nutrition programs are key to creating a durable, responsive uh, food system, okay? And no single nutrition program exists in a vacuum, okay? 
we should enact policies that support the creation and sustainment of community feeding uh, networks, support innovations to reduce food waste in schools and markets, and change public perception on federal child nutrition programs. Local and community linkages between existing and new programs should also be identified and strengthened. Opportunities exist for increased okay, public-private partnerships to address challenges like food deserts and food waste. Increasing children's access to fresh and nutritious foods now can not only help America recover from the, this unprecedented challenge in the present, but bolster our national security in the future. And I'll be honest with you, I hope that today we'll also start to think through the next steps okay, to improve uh, childhood nutrition and food uh, security in our state. What can we do at the local and state levels in our own communities to help make these programs more accessible to children in need? While there is much to be done in, to better serve children in Arkansas, I'm excited about our discussion today and to hear more about some of the great work that is already being done throughout the state and how each of us and each of you watching this event can help assist that work. Thank you, Megan, for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. Thank you so much, General Wofford. Excuse me. And one quick note before we get to our next speaker, Stephanie, um, General Wofford made a great point about us all kind of connecting in our communities. And for those of you who are watching this live, if you'd like to utilize the chat function to connect with anyone else who's doing this work, feel free to drop your information in the chat and connect there. But moving on to our next speaker, Stephanie, you know, we talk about these programs, but you're really on the ground doing the work to make sure that children in Little Rock are getting healthy and nutritious meals. So we'd love to hear more from you about the work that your district is doing and the work that you are doing to make sure that kids have access to those meals and any challenges that you might be facing to make, do that day to day, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Great, nice to meet you and thank you all for being here. I can't see your beautiful faces, but I'm certainly sure we have quite a few um, participants on. I am Stephanie Walker-Hines, the Child Nutrition Director for the Little Rock School District. We are, I consider the largest restaurant in the state of Arkansas. We have potentially two, 22,209 customers. And I call our students customers because without them, we certainly wouldn't have jobs. And so to that matter, of course, it would be very great if we could serve all of our students on a daily basis. But I really feel good about the numbers of students that we do feed. I just pulled quickly, I ran quickly to pull our um, October, I'm sorry, November numbers, just to give you an idea of how many students we feed per day. First, I also want to say that we have several different ways that we feed children. Of course, we offer the National School Lunch Breakfast Program, Lunch Program, and Snack Program. But we're also able to apply for different, under different entities like the Department of Human Services, and we're able to feed supper. We also feed summer meals. We have a fresh fruit and vegetable program. And then, of course, we answer the call whenever needed to feed students, period. So in November, we fed over 140,000 breakfasts. And that really is, averages 
averages out to about 8,000 breakfasts per day. And so that's a huge testament to the work that we do. Um, we also, for lunch, we fed over 210,000 meals for the month of November. Of course, one of our largest days was November 11th when we had our traditional holiday meal that included a fresh turkey roast and greens and yams and um, spiced peaches and things like that. But our average daily participation on lunch um, is almost 12,000. So on some days, of course, we feed more than 12,000 students. And on the other days, we feed a little under 12,000. And so that's pretty good because that means that we're feeding half of the students that attend the Little Rock in the Little Rock School District. And of course, you all know we have a small virtual academy that includes a couple thousand students also. So Specifically with the work that we do in Little Rock, we're centrally located. We're surrounded by other districts that feed some of our children and we feed some of theirs. But under the USDA guidelines, we can only do so much. We are tasked with, of course, a procurement process and getting the food in at different times. Um, we have relationships with a bunch of vendors across this state and, of course, additional states. And just like everyone else in the restaurant business, we've run into some challenges with this pandemic. And so I'll start by saying that March 2020, when the school district shut down, the child nutrition employees became very essential and that we continue to feed students. We did not work from home and we fed meals and we fed meals and we continue to feed meals and more meals and more meals. We even fed weekends and holidays, spring breaks, Christmas breaks and any break. We did not want a kid to go hungry. And that, of course, is a testament, a testament to the hard work that our School Nutrition Association does, our professional organization, and that we pay lobbyists to stay in the ears of those on the Hill so that we can keep getting funds to feed children, even if we're not bringing in the kind of money that we normally would for reimbursement. And so we were able to do that. And we were not, we did not go into the hole in doing that. And so some of the things that I think, of course, impacts, negatively impacts our programs, child nutrition programs, mostly a lack of understanding. Um, all of us have been students at some point or another, whether in public, private, or, or home or different um, entities. But meals, meals, feeding children food, um, having access to food, food gives children energy. Energy gives kids the calories to burn so that they can learn, sit still and listen. And so some of the things that I would like to see moving forward um, in this global pandemic with hunger and the other things, of course, that are happening now, I would like to see universal meals. And of course, our professional organizations are pushing that from every angle. Um, but of course, as you all know, on this call, there are always politics involved. But I feel like if there was a universal meal system, like in other countries, we could take that off of the plate of worry. And, and as we, we are good stewards of our tax dollars, we would just use those funds to do what's right by children who are in education and trying to graduate eventually, high school, college, and so on. And so that would take a lot of pressure off of families having universal meals. And so some of the things that 
pre- could prevent that. Of course, we all know um, meals are based on income and different things, things like that. But what we learned in this pandemic and what we're learning this year with the grace of the USDA program and the, our governor, gov- government is that we're feeding every kid at no cost. And so let me give you an example. At one of our schools, elementary schools that has a thousand students, traditionally, we had a huge lunchbox problem out there pre-pandemic. And the principals and the custodians were a little upset because they had lunchboxes everywhere and they didn't have enough places to put those, to store those lunchboxes. And so welcome the pandemic. Lo and behold, children who have never eaten school food um, are eating school food. So this school, this elementary, traditionally was feeding 200 students a day. Now, that same school, same population, and this is a school that is not traditionally free and reduced, high free and reduced. And so they are now feeding 600 students a day. So imagine those parents, and we don't know why, we don't know if it's because the meals are at no cost, we don't know if it's because some parents have lost jobs, we don't know, but I would assume with that school and where it is in the zones that it is in in Little Rock, that it is not a bad thing. And so we're with these customers, this pandemic has allowed us to gain new customers. And if we do go back to feeding per status, income status, I believe we would have gained new stu- new customers across the board. And so that's been a great thing that's come out of the pandemic. And so it's a great thing, even in the midst of all the, su- the supply chain issues and disruptions, as you all can imagine, and it's sometimes you don't know if child nutrition um, ladies and dudes have um, a God's ear closer than some of you all, because literally when we pray, pray, when we've had disposables in the middle of the ocean on a ship for weeks, when we've had dish machines and different equipment um, sitting who knows where, when we all start praying in school nutrition, all of a sudden, we find something to put that food in so that we can continue to feed 12,000 lunches a day, um, 8,000 breakfasts, 6,000 snacks per day, 5,000 fresh fruit and vegetables um, to, to students who would normally not get to try a Lucy red apple Um you know, the things that we're getting to introduce to them. And so the struggle, of course, is real, but also we found a lot of good in being in becoming essential and becoming um, aware of things that we can do differently. I mean, we never knew how many different things you can do with a popcorn chicken before the pandem- pandemic. And so scratch cooking is a huge thing in our district. And the children love homemade rolls and cinnamon rolls. And so we don't do as much prepackaged foods as some districts. We've always done scratch cooking, but now we're doing more. And so I think that in this on this platform, if we could have more positive, positive, positive marketing, more embracing within school districts and also the different entities of boards and different community members um, to push our food, that the, the, the negative um, school food, I don't know, I, I've never understood that. Um, when I was a kid, I cheated on my application to get free pizzas and french fries, but now it's just so negative. Um, 
And so I would like to see a lot of different entities pouring into our child nutrition programs. And we already, the ones who trust us and let us feed them every day, we already have their trust. But in this pandemic, this would be an opportunity to grow that trust by, by teachers eating or principals eating or superintendents eating or chief financial officers eating. And so we just have so many different ways that we can increase our participation. And I don't want to go over my minutes. So that's just my, <laughs> thank you so much, Megan. Well, that is such a good call to action for all of us on this call and all of us watching the call to really kind of reduce the stigma and really stress how important these meals are to kids and keeping them healthy. Um, truly, truly remarkable work that your school district has done during to pivot during the pandemic. And I know that school districts throughout the, the country have done that, but just very impressive to hear that story. So thank you. And then Lance, next, we want to hear from you. So as the director of SNAP Outreach at the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, your organization has a large footprint on reducing food insecurity throughout the state, but you're specifically focused on making sure that eligible families can enroll in the SNAP program. Can you tell us more about the work that you do and also what barriers may exist for families in Arkansas who are trying to access federal nutrition programs like SNAP or WIC? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to uh, to be here. Uh, and it's 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 a pleasure to listen to the passion that exists. Stephanie, unbelievable. Uh, you know, it was it. I love to hear the progress that's happening. I am blessed enough to work uh, with a what I call a work family of uh, about eighteen people that are, are talented in so many ways to help fight uh, what we know exist in Arkansas and yet could promote our communities to, to, to strive to be so much more successful. So thank you for each of you and what you're doing uh, uh, and, and continuing on and, and even those who have joined our meeting today. I'm Lance Whitney. I'm the director of SNAP Outreach. We uh, are contracted and uh, partnered with DHS in the process of doing SNAP applications. We also have community partners um, <clears throat> across the state. But what um, our current existing situation that we do mostly with the pandemic and COVID-19 and how it has affected our communities is uh, we have gotten a, we have a call center that's opened uh, 10 to three Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then as well, 10 to eight on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This call center is absolutely for any questions with anybody either wanting to apply for SNAP, answer questions currently existing about SNAP, also, it's a rolled into a, a pandemic EBT, PEBT. Uh, Stephanie, I know that's a word that you're very familiar with. Um, so, and these basically, for those who don't know or, or are not are not aware, these are this is a PEBT is a program for uh, missed school lunches that are being reimbursed to the families to help them still feel, feed these children or any child during this time period. Um, that and it, uh, it all stems from uh, uh, the free and reduced school lunch programs. Uh, they have to be registered in that program. They have to have proper addresses for where these children are living so that these EBT cards or PEBT cards can be mailed to them. Each school had different things going on in COVID-19 as far as the number of days they participated, the number of days they didn't participate. Uh, virtual days, it, 
a very complicated uh, process, uh, left a lot of people still asking questions in the whole situation, and then it rolled right over to the next school year, and it's continuing again. But we are here to assist that. Um, we as the SNAP team always, uh, SNAP matters. SNAP is a supplemental, SNAP stands for Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program. So what this is allows is that each family who applies for SNAP is applying for a safety net that allows them a little extra money to buy those things that can help their family uh, continue uh, to learn through education because they're nourished, they can stay well, so their health. So food is medicine, food is education, F food, food is a community um, support because this is federal funding dollars that come through. And for every $1 of federal funding, that promotes a minimum of $1.50 all the way up to $1.78 into that community because it allows the parents to make it to work so there's not missed wages or missed work. It allows the children to stay in school so because they're staying healthier. It allows the grocery stores or local food distributors to be able to hire people or buy at bulk. And it helps the health industry to not have so many people knocking on the door because they are malnourished and they are getting sick. So this each community is missing out. Each grocery store is missing out. Each employer is missing out if we don't have a supplemental safety net to assist these families who are trying to promote health, promote education, and allows them to apply and succeed in whatever ventures they choose going forward. And this ranges from kindergarten, daycare, all the way up to college. And so SNAP is a program that we, uh, it's based off uh, income, uh, the, the eligibility is based off income, assets, and uh, citizenship, okay? So we walk, I call setting expectations is what we uh, do on our call center. We walk through the program, we walk through the, uh, the application, we do not, uh, determine their benefits. That's all the way done through DHS, but we do fill the entire application out. We have a couple of methods of how each application does require a signature, how we can make it faster. We give it directly to DHS through our communication routes. Once we have that signature, whether that's in person or done in DocuSign, and then we follow back up. And I think that's the key thing. So many people who do applications they get the application. It's kind of like that salesperson you buy something from and you never hear from again. We make a phone call after the first phone call one week later and say, what's your status? Have you heard from DHS? Did you get the mail for mailing for signature? Have you sent that back in with our self-addressed envelope? Are there any assistance you need? For seniors, veterans, and disabled, there's also the ability to claim some medical expenses. So these are stopped through. And so even though this won't be child nutrition, directly, but it indirectly affects what these parents can put on the table for each child to have something during those lag times. And it's not a replacement for an entire budget for food. It is a supplemental nutritional access program. Okay. So we, I have a lovely team of three and a half people. I call them They're three full-time, one full-time um, one part-time, uh, and I am included in that. So don't don't add any more numbers to that. But um, but we we take great pride in making sure that we are setting the expectations of what to 
do during this in interview process, the expectations that we are there to the su support them in going forward, and to break down that stigma that, you know, food stamps, you know, they changed it to SNAP because they're no longer stamps and there was such a negative connotation with it that um, to break down that stigma that it's not welfare, it's supporting your community. It's supporting everything in that community from health, retail, education, uh, employment. Um, you know, it, it, it lets the burden not be on the community, whether you are on SNAP or not, whether you are participating in this program or not, because you don't qualify, then it still needs to be supported. It does not need to have a negative connotation and it does not need to be browbeat of what you can do. Um, so we consistently try to feed that SNAP matters to you, whether you qualify or not. It needs to be supported and it needs to be uh, uh, given uh, support in the system, uh, both publicly and privately in what we do. Our partners are fantastic uh, lovers of fighting hunger. Our employers, uh, our employees, our, um, our team, our family is um, absolutely dedicated. Uh, we've all had uh, professional careers in many other ways. Some of our employees have uh, personally experienced SNAP or hunger in the past, and that's why they do what they do. But I want to know, I want to take a little bit extra time to go into what the Alliance also does. I have uh, shared our what we call our impact statement. SNAP is one department of the Alliance. The Alliance fights hunger in many ways. SNAP is there. Stephanie, I'm not sure if you know uh, Vivian um, or not, but Vivian is our, uh, used to be a school uh, nutritional statewide. And she uh, she is with us now. She's with our No Kid Hungry program. Um, we do the school lunch programs. Where there are, we do the school feeding programs. I'm sorry, that's you know new word because there's breakfast, there's before the bell, there's after the bell, there's during the bell, there's between history. There's there's opportunities depending on what demographic likes to eat when, so that they get something in their body nutritious. Uh, whether it's a smoothie program or whether it's a sack lunch, a snack lunch, and then there's after school program that's in our No Kid Hungry too that is to help with. Um, what we do during those off school hours, whether it's after school, whether it's on holidays, uh, whether it's during the pandemic, whatever's going on. And you'll see these numbers in those programs as well. But once again, and then we do cooking matters and that teaches families how to buy things on, on a budget, how to prepare them to get the most out of what they can purchase and how to do it in a healthy manner that allows nutrition to be a key play. Um, you know, there's always, there are a ton of suitcases that come with the challenges of cooking for a family. It could be from the resources. Do you have a refrigerator? Do you have a stove? Do you have electricity? Do you have light? Do you have a roof? You know, it, it just varies from one individual. It's not a cookie cutter answer. It is an actually customized answer. And we take those all in consideration with whatever we're doing. What do they have to the point we've done a presentation on a hot plate? We even had one person try to do something uh, that was done on a fire built heat device. Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure how that worked. That's a kind of an old, the before my time, but I heard the story and I, I would not, not want, I'm great at camping. I'm not quite sure I could prepare the most nutritious meal during that time. But anyway, we try to teach families on how they can go forward in doing this. We also have another division with the Alliance. This is our food resources. We are the Alliance of all seven food banks 
in the state of Arkansas. We go through the process of procuring uh, food for each of these food banks so they can distribute to their food pantries and then the food pantries hand it to those who are in need. Uh, we are partnered with, with every facet of that, but uh, part of that food resourcing includes getting uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. So we may do community gardens. We may do, we assist with community gardens. We may have partners who want a community garden. Anything that's produced in our community gardens is given into the food bank from that region. So that allows them to have, do fresh vegetables into the food bank, which allows the distribution to have not just canned goods and processed foods, but also have fruit, fresh uh, vegetables as well. The other side is we've partnered with the, the Beef Association of the Cattlemen's of Arkansas uh, Cattlemen's Association so that we have a, a, a cow or uh, an animal to process. We have partnered with the processing part because that was a challenge in that. So we have fresh meats. So many, so much of the time when you go to a food pantry, you get processed foods and you get um, not fresh produce. But we believe as a nutritional minded uh, entity that we need to give at least some opportunity to be able to bring those in. Um, and then the community gardens uh, help everybody kind of understand where, where does that potato come from? Where does that tomato come from? Where, where do these vegetables come from? And the kids get excited about it that are doing that. I mean, I, I, the minute Stephanie mentioned her, uh, I, I, want an, I want a community garden. And this isn't even my department, <laughs> but I want a community garden at every school. I think kids would love to know that they grew what, what's going to be served in two days or the same day, or, you know, gathering. This is what I was raised by grandpa and a grandma and a mom too. Don't get me wrong. I had a wonderful parents, but, uh, but they were farmers. And so as much as I may have fought it as a child, digging in the dirt gave me more respect for understanding what happens and how it gets there. So the alliance is we want the safety net for SNAP to be there for the community so they continue because SNAP matters, health matters, education matters, and it's all based on food. And having insecurity in food means that you have insecurity in health, you have insecurity in education, and you have insecurity in opportunities. Um, once again, I'm Lance Whitney with the, SNAP, with the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance. Uh, anything you want to partner or question, please contact me. Uh, I would love, love, love. There's so much power. There's so much passion that's in this group. I have a wonderful vibe about each of your energies and the fact that you've taken your time to do this. It is my honor to be with you and it is my honor to assist you in any way we can at the Alliance. And thank you. Thank you so much, Lance. That was a really helpful overview of all the work that you all are doing and also the really large value that the SNAP program can play in the lives of children and families in Arkansas. So thank you. Well, now that we've heard from you and Stephanie a little bit more about why these programs are so critical to public health in Arkansas, I want to take a step back and kind of revisit the idea about why this is also important to national security. So General Prophet, you finished your military career as the Deputy Commander of the U.S. Army Reserve Command for Management, Resources, and Support. And from that role, you know just how critical it is for the military to have a strong pool of eligible rec recruits to pull from who are also interested in service. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about the current, why the current recruitment crisis is so concerning and what role proper nutrition and food security programs play in addressing it. Of course, thank you, Megan. Uh, I'm excited to be here. 
uh, with you today to talk about how we can support um, programs that improve childhood nutrition and food uh, security. Uh, but I have to tell you at the outset, it's much more exciting to hear from those who are on the ground taking affirmative actions every day to make the lives of future generations better. So I applaud each of you and what you're doing. Like my fellow admirals and generals who are members of Mission Readiness, I'm committed to addressing the growing crisis of military ineligibility by drawing attention to one of its root causes and, and that's malnutrition that manifests as obesity. Um, having served as uh, for over a decade as a senior director of military programs at Walmart, I'm also committed to building a solid foundation so that future generations can meet tomorrow's workforce challenges. But this is also personal for me. As a grandfather of five, I am committed to ensuring that my grandchildren find success, following their passions and going wherever their talents take them. Uh, to the essence of uh, Megan's um, introduction, the military services often and today face a challenging recruiting environment with evolving population dynamics and propensity to serve. In order to protect our future strength and ensure our national security, we must do more to address rising rates of obesity among our children. And if we get that right, there's a case to be made, I think a strong one, that the benefit accrues to the entire national workforce. As General Wofford mentioned, one of three young people are disqualified from military service due to being overweight or obese. This number is incredibly alarming and even more, it is concerning when you consider that the number of young people who are interested in military service is declining. Data from 2017 showed that just 11% of 16 to 24 year olds said they would definitely or probably be serving in the military in the next few years. This is a decrease from 13% in 2016, further illustrating the challenges of recruiting. With military, with interest in military service on the decline, it is critical to our national security that those who are interested in serving are prepared to meet the standards of eligibility. However, current obesity rates prevent otherwise eligible young people who are interested in serving from qualifying. Obesity is also a major problem within the Department of Defense. Each year, the DOD spends $1.5 billion on healthcare related to obesity for active duty and former service members and their families. Additionally, 
active duty service members miss over 650,000 work days annually to obesity related issues, placing added strain on a for force that is already stretched thin. Excess weight also puts recruits and service members at higher risk for injury. One study found that active duty soldiers with obesity were 33% more likely to suffer musculoskeletal injury, contributing to the more than 3.6 million injuries that occurred among active duty service members between 2008 and 2017. If we want to ensure the future national security of our country, we need to act now to mitigate childhood obesity and set young people up on a path to success. As a member of Mission Readiness, I've enjoyed having the opportunity to discuss these issues with many different stakeholders in Arkansas. Last year, I participated in several conversations with Arkansas Congressman Rick Crawford, where we discussed policy solutions to address childhood malnutrition. I also participated in discussions with individuals in Arkansas who are on the ground, like many of you, trying to provide better access to healthy foods. What I learned from, this, from these conversations is that most of us have common goals when it comes to improving the public health of our communities and ensuring our children have access to the resources they need to grow up healthy and prepare for success. Talking about the problem is an important part of addressing it, but we must also consider what action we can take. Whether it be through making sure a child can access a healthy meal at school or through another nutrition assistance program or empowering young people to be able to make healthy choices, it is incredibly important that we try to work the problem and identify sustainable solutions. So Megan, uh, for my part, we need to begin to, in greater ways, act on what we know and go beyond merely talking about it. So it's kind of like Nike says, let's just do it. Back to you, Megan. Thank you so much, sir. That's a really great point to end on. And I think an important reminder for all of us that everyone here, I think this discussion is incredibly important and we should keep having these discussions, but we really do need to start thinking about how we can take action. And like you said, just do it, just move on with it. Well, thank you, sir. Next, um, we since we've talked a lot about childhood nutrition and food security, want to shift to a speaker who's going to talk a little bit more about how important it is that to all of this, that we have a sustainable food system and that that food system can continue to thrive and provide healthy foods for generations to come. So I wanna turn it over to Taylor Gladwin, who is an environmental educator for the city of Fayetteville, which has been doing incredible work to reduce food waste, but also turn food waste into compost that can then be used to sustain the ecosystem and the food system. So Taylor, why don't you tell us more about the work that the city of Fayetteville has been doing to reduce food waste and how it creates a more sustainable food system for Arkansans. 
Hi, yes. Thank you, Megan. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been such a pleasure listening to all of you speak today um, and hear your enthusiasm for what you do and to learn about what you're doing. And I'm honored to be here. So thank you very much. My name is Taylor Gladwin, and I am an environmental educator for the city of Fayetteville in our recycling and trash division. We have a goal here in Fayetteville to reach 40% waste diversion from the landfill by 2027. We're currently about halfway there and food waste makes up 18% of Fayetteville's municipal solid waste. So if we could divert all of that from the landfill, we'd be significantly close to reaching our goal. But as important and as cool as that would be to reach that goal, it's even more important to keep food waste out of the landfill in general. So food waste is anything that you cannot eat anything that can't be recovered or cannot be donated. So it's um, apple peels, banana cores, eggshells, coffee grounds, um, fish bones, things like that. Anything that has gone bad in your fridge, anything um, left over on your plate when you're finished, or anything that has become prep waste from making your meal. All of those things can be composted and should be instead of going to the landfill. We have two compost programs here in the city. In 2016, we started our commercial compost program where we had a handful of pilot businesses and a few schools participating in our program. Um, since then, the program has turned into a, a full-blown program and we have about 40 businesses participating in our commercial food waste pickup service. Um, we had a few more, uh, some of them did drop off during the pandemic at the beginning, but we have seen them slowly come back um, to start collecting their food waste again. So we pick up the food waste from businesses and schools three days a week. We provide them with a 65 gallon food waste cart and the first six months of BPI certified compostable bags. And then after that, they can purchase their own bags. And all of this is for only $15 and five cents a month for 12 weekly food waste pickups. So we definitely want to use economics to the environment's advantage and give businesses a financial incentive to reduce their waste and compost food waste. So that was in 2017, that became a, an official program. And at the beginning of 2020, we expanded our commercial food waste program to include a residential food waste program. That's a little different of a program. It is not a pickup program, but it is a drop-off program. So residents can collect their food waste at home, and then they can bring it to one of our five food waste drop-off locations. We have one at each of our recycling centers. We have two recycling centers. We also have um, a food waste drop-off at two different businesses right now, and then a fifth drop-off at our compost facility. And the compost facility is the only drop-off that is not 24-7. We want to work with our GIS department as well to establish more food waste drop-offs throughout the city so that nobody has to drive or walk or ride their bike too far to get to a food waste drop-off. They could ideally go to the food waste drop-off on their way somewhere else, or like at our recycling centers, for example, they're going there anyway to recycle. The food waste program is also really beneficial for folks who can't have their own backyard compost pile for, for whatever reason. Most people in Fayetteville actually live in apartments. 
So this is a really great option for our residents for them to drop off their food waste with us and then we turn it into compost. We are facilitating participation in that program by giving out uh, food waste buckets with a lid and a label that says everything that we accept in our program um, and the things that we don't accept, which if you can compost it, if you can eat it, you can compost it. So your vegetables, your fruits, your breads, processed foods. Um, and because we are an, an industrial compost facility, our compost piles get really hot. And so we are able to accept things that you wouldn't want to put in your backyard pile, like meat and dairy products. And we also accept compostable products as well. So we give out these three and a half and five gallon buckets to Fayetteville residents. We've given out um, 450 so far. And then they also sign a commitment pledge that just states that they will use the bucket for its intended purpose, um, which is to collect food waste and bring that to us so we can track that data. We don't require to see anyone's ID or a water bill. We just take their word that they're a Fayetteville resident. And we're particular about that, not because only because we're a Fayetteville division, but we purchased the buckets through a USDA grant that stated that we would give the buckets to Fayetteville residents. Anybody, however, can participate in the food waste drop-off program, for sure. We also do encourage food donation, of course, before donating or before composting any edible food. The Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act of 1996 allows folks to donate, people and organizations, to donate food to nonprofits in good faith. So as long as you're following your state's food laws, you can donate food and, in good faith and you'll protect it from any liability issues that come up if anyone were to get sick from eating that food. Um, so that, that is in place, so we encourage food donation. We have a food donation brochure that lists 15 organizations that um, either have food pantries or they serve hot meals. And so we have that brochure on our website and I, we also give it out with our food waste buckets. Um, so if people know that's available as an option, most of the food waste we get from businesses is non-edible, um, but um, people at home, on the other hand, they might have a meal that is um, still edible and can be donated instead. And it's on our commercial um, page of our website. So if there are businesses that have edible food at the end of the day, they can have someone pick that up or they can take it to a food pantry. One organization that is a really amazing resource in Fayetteville um, that participates in their own food recovery operation is Tricycle Farms. Tricycle Farms is a teaching farm, um, but they exist to recover food. They uh, have four objectives, four goals for their food recovery program. Um, the first is ecological benefits of not throwing food waste away, and then also just to feed our, our food insecure, the food insecure folks in our community. They donate, um, they recover and donate 800 to 1,000 pounds of food every single day. So they get that uh, food, which is healthy, nutritious food from their from different grocery stores, and then they bring that to their partnering organizations. I said they're a teaching farm, and they also conduct workshops and classes on ways to can food, ways to reduce food waste, ways to grow your own food. And so they are an incredible resource, Tricycle Farms, and we're lucky to have them here. But for the food that can't be donated, composting um, is, a, is a wonderful option. The first thing you wanna do, of course, is reduce food waste before it starts. 
then feed hungry people, feed hungry animals, and then compost your food waste. And composting your food waste has immense environmental benefits. Um, it also has economic benefits too. Here in Fayetteville, we have a pay-as-you-throw trash program. So the more you throw away, the more you pay. So it saves money to reduce your trash by composting and recycling. Um, the environmental benefits of composting your food waste, when we throw away food in the landfill, it goes through a process called anaerobic digestion, which is decomposition without oxygen. And that process causes methane. It produces methane in our atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas, um, 28 times more potent than carbon dioxide. But when we use that food waste to make compost instead, and then we use that compost in our gardens, on our lawns, in our potted, potted plants, we are actually building stronger plants that are able to absorb more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So it actually can reverse climate change. So it's the exact opposite of throwing your food away and for all the right reasons. Um, using compost also reduces your reliance or eliminates the need for synthetic fertilizers, which are often over-applied and can get into our local waterways and just don't treat the plants in quite the same way as organic compost does. Compost also helps your soil maintain moisture and balances its pH. And so healthier soils is also another way that we can absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and prevent natural disasters as well. So that is an extremely important um, benefit of no doubt. But farming and gardening is also another great thing, you know, another great reason to compost um, because it's using your food waste, your yard waste as a resource and keeping it out of the landfill. It's giving it another life. And also um, growing your own food is a huge way to increase your food security and farmers growing our, our food that we eat, we depend on, you know, that is a matter of national security, absolutely. Um, so I would think that, you know, the next thing that we need to do is, I, I wanna just agree with Stephanie and Lance for sure. We need more education in schools. I wanna, you know, I would love to see um, food and garden education in schools, I, I would love to have a, a garden at every school. Um, we give compost to the schools that we collect their food waste from for them to use in their gardens. So the students can see the full circle effect of the food that they ate, diverted from the trash can, turned into a soil amendment used in their garden that's gonna grow their next meal. And when kids understand how food is grown in a healthy way, and they are able to participate in that process, they grow up to be adults who make healthy food choices and who, wet, who waste less food and who um, also you know, purchase food or grow food that has been grown in an environmentally friendly way. So um, education is always the key, I feel like. Um, and I would love to see more garden and food education happening as well. But also something we can all do is support local farmers, support your local farmer's market, your local CSA, um, because that lets the farmer know that um, they have job security. That lets the farmers of tomorrow know that they have job security. And of course, once again, you know, we need farmers, we need farms to have food. And that's a matter of national security. So shopping local, supporting farmers and educating the youth, I think are the, uh, the next steps we all need to take. Um, that's really all I have, but 
thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to be here and listen to you all today. Thank you, Taylor. That was so informative and really helpful to understand how all the work you're doing and all the work that other communities can be doing to compost and to reduce food waste is a critical part of this whole discussion that we're having. So thank you very much for, for joining us today. And we are about at time, so we'll go ahead and wrap up our discussion, but I just wanna take a moment to thank all of our speakers who took time out of their incredibly, incredibly busy days to be here and to talk about these issues and to hopefully encourage some of you in the audience to act in your communities and kind of take the next step to push through some of these programs and support young Arkansans where you live. And also wanna thank all of you who tuned in today and also took time out of your busy schedules to listen. If we can be a resource to you, or if you'd like any more information, you can go to strongnation.org slash mission readiness. And at one point we will have a recording of this video available with all the resources that the speakers have shared and you will be able to find it all there. But thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate you taking the time and we hope that you will continue to be active on these issues in your community. I'm Megan Adamczewski, and this has been the Mission Readiness Podcast. In today's conversation, you heard from Mission Readiness members, Major General Retired Bill Wofford and Brigadier General Retired Gary Prophet. For more about Mission Readiness, Council for a Strong America, or to find an archive of every episode of the Mission Readiness Podcast, visit strongnation.org. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast, give us a positive review, and tell your friends about the program. The program is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for supporting our mission to help kids stay in school, in shape, and out of trouble.